This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you're snacking on anything but tasty cake, you're making a huge Miss Cake. A fistful of chocolate-covered raisins? Miss Cake. A spoonful of peanut butter? Bigger Miss Cake. Or the worst Miss Cake of all, your kid's Halloween candy, and it's April. If it's not tasty cake, it's a Miss Cake. Because nothing satisfies like a perfectly sweet butterscotch crimpet. Or rich and creamy chocolate peanut butter candy cake. Tasty Cake. Except no substitute. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. Joining me, as always, is Billboard's deputy editor digital, Katie Atkinson. Hi, Katie. Hey, Keith. How are you? Great, um, um, except for the fact that this is my last episode before I leave for three months. This is your this is your last episode <laughs> until you have a child. Until I have a baby. And That's true. You will be not thinking about the pop shop for a little Probably bit. Probably true. Well, send uh, Katie your well wishes and uh, and uh, <laughs> I love you still, and I'll be back in November. <laughs> yeah. um, well, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one stop shop for all things pop and newborns <laughs> on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news about how Arcade Fire brings rock back to the top of the Billboard 200 Albums chart, Cardi B's breakout hit Bodak Yellow, Money Moves, um, and how it's rising fast up the Billboard Hot 100, and how Nicki Minaj gets her 41st Top 40 hit, on the Hot 100 with You the Baddest. And in addition to all that chart chat, we have an interview with singer and songwriter Dan Wilson. The two-time Grammy winner has written uh, written hits with everyone from Adele to Dirks Bentley, and now he's got his own new solo album, Recovered. On the new effort, Wilson covers tunes that he's written with others, including Dixie Chicks' Not Ready to Make Nice and John Legend's You and I. So stay tuned for our discussion with Wilson a little later in the show. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss an episode, and give us a rating or a review while you're at it. 
If you have any questions for us, you can tweet us at Keith underscore Caulfield or at KT Atkinson. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. Let's let us run the Billboard chart numbers. <laughs> let us now commence the chart chat. Here are three of the biggest headlines on the charts. Number one. Arcade Fire achieves its third straight number one album on the Billboard 200 with Everything Now. Number two, rapper Cardi B is rising fast up the Billboard Hot 100 with her breakout hit Bodak Yellow. Can it hit the top 10? And number three, Nicki Minaj scores her 41st top 40 hit on the Hot 100 with her featured turn on Future's You the Baddest. Who else has 41 top 40 hits? Mm. We'll tell you in just a moment. All right, let's break down each of these individually. First up, Arcade Fire scores its third consecutive number one album on the Billboard 200 chart with Everything Now. The album earned 100,000 equivalent album units in the week ending August 3rd, according to Nielsen Music, with 94,000 of that sum in traditional album sales. Everything Now is only the second rock album, believe it or not, to hit number one in 2017, following Linkin Park's One More Light earlier this year. And both bands have something else in common. They are the only two rock bands with three number ones this decade. So uh, there have been other groups uh, with at least three number ones, uh, One Direction, Lady Annabellum, and Zac Brown Band, but you could You've probably surmised that none of those three are actually rock bands. Correct. Though someone might argue that Zac Brown Band plays some rockin' music. They are a country band. I think even Zac Brown Band would give you that. Though, you know, he <laughs> has worked with Dave Grohl and stuff. True. So, you know, I mean, but, you know, we classify them as country. Um, so after yeah. last week's chart, which had a bunch of new stuff debuting in the top yeah. 10, it seems really quiet on the chart this week. Uh, yeah, <laughs> funny. Um, fun, yeah. Um, Everything Now is the only album to debut in the entire uh, top 25. Wow. Um, and comparatively, we had five debuts in the top 10 a week ago, including three albums that all started in the top three and were all vying for number one. So, uh, and I, 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 I've said this internally uh, you know, amongst chart staffers. I'm like, you know, if only those three albums that were all vying for number one last week and they were all like really close to being number one, Lana Del Rey, Tyler the Creator, and Meek Mill, if only they had like spread out, spread out, come out a week earlier, a couple weeks earlier. If you had come out one week earlier, it was when, a ghost town. Yeah, Jay Z was in his second week at number one mm-hmm. with like kind of like a mediocre number, and French Montana debuted at number three. You, you, any one of the three of you could have easily been number one, and then one of you stayed in that kept kept that week last week, and then this week, well, one of you would have thwarted Arcade Fire, so maybe oh, well, maybe that yeah. would have been bad. Um, but you could have waited another week because it looks like <laughs> next week right now the only significant album that came out is Brett Eldridge's new mm-hmm. album. And, like, that's going to have, Don't like... Don't forget Randy Newman. Not a contender for number <laughs> one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you could have... You could have... But, you know, that's the, that's the way... The way the charts work. Those crazy, crazy charts. Crazy charts. Um, anyway, next up, rapper Cardi B is rising fast up the Billboard Hot 100 with her breakout hit Bodak Yellow, Money Moves. In just five weeks, the track has gone from its debut at number 85 to number 14 this week. So it went from 85 to 78, 49 to 28, and now 14. So if you're doing the math, that means it should be number one in two weeks. Um, 
because I mean, barring anything really substantial, being at number one for thirteen mm, straight weeks, like Despacito. <laughs> um, well, Cardi B might be familiar to some as a former cast member on VH1's Love and Hip Hop, as she was on the show from 2015 through December 2016. I actually have never seen Love and Hip Hop, so I haven't I, either. I was not familiar with her until this track. Um, kind of blew up out of the wazoo everywhere and now it's just it's it's sort of inescapable and i kind of wonder like will it have the same acceleration that it's had the past couple weeks it's just like this complete juggernaut especially in terms of streaming um but anyway in a recent interview with billboard she uh, said her biggest dream for 2017 is to quote be top 10 on the billboard charts so she might be seeing her dreams come true here Maybe. I mean, she already is top ten in the hip hop charts. Yeah, so yeah, she's got that. True, for. But, but it could. It's clearly she's on the trajectory to to get to the top ten of the hot one hundred. And you know, it's a uh, she's a female rapper, which there's not a whole heck of a lot of them floating around right now. So it'd be kind of cool if we had a female rapper in the top ten. No features, not a feature for her. Right. No features on her song. Right, pretty impressive. Speaking of female rappers mm. with features, uh, we turn to our third item. Uh, Nicki Minaj collects her 41st top 40 hit on the Billboard Hot 100 as Future's You Da Baddest, featuring Nicki Minaj, debuts at number 38. It's her fourth top 40 charting hit this year following No Frauds, and her featured turns on Jason Derulo's Swalla and Yo Gotti's Rake It Up. Um, Katie, it's Quiz Katie time. Hmm. Want to take a guess as to who else, as to as what other two acts, I should have phrased that a little bit better, what other two acts also have exactly 41 top 40 hits? Well, my first question is, where where does that lie in the ranking? Like, how? what's the record number of top 40 oh, hits? Oh, uh, I've got papers. <laughs> the uh, record number is uh, 80. Okay. And that's Elvis Presley. Okay. Um, I will tell you that two of... Nikki's BFFs, mm-hmm. Lil Wayne and Drake, have the second and third most mm-hmm. with 71 and 67. Okay. So, um, are there n- other lady acts with her? Is it two gentlemen acts or bands? So, the three acts with 41 there's Nikki, mm-hmm. there is a band, okay. and then a R&B singer that is no longer with us and hasn't been with us for kind of a while. Like. R&B like Ray Charles? No, uh, Ray Newer? Char- no, Ray well, Ray Luther Ch- Vandross? I think they this person died before both of these people. Oh. Actually was killed. Oh, Marvin Gaye. Yes. Marvin Gaye had 41. That was uh, that quickly gave it to you. Yeah. And then the other one is a, is an active band whose frontman actually just put out two new songs like a week ago. Like legendary rock band has has had a bajillion hits. Um, still always actively touring, and they play stadiums consistently. Rolling Stones? The Rolling Stones. Yeah, I Both didn't know Mick Jagger put out new music. Put out two new songs like a week ago. Did not know that. And one of them is about Brexit. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, political. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think now it's time for our interview with Dan Wilson. Yeah. 
The uh, two-time Grammy award-winning singer and songwriter has written more than 500 songs. Just 500. And you're already familiar with a number of them, including Adele's Someone Like You and Dixie Chicks Not Ready to Make Nice and his own band, Semisonic's Closing Time. Closing Time. An iconic 90s song. Uh, We sat down with Wilson to talk about some of his most famous collaborations, including those songs. His new covers album, Recovered, where he covers his own tunes written with others and what it's really like working with Adele. So here's our chat with Dan Wilson. Never mind, I'll find someone like you. I wish nothing but the best for you. Welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Dan Wilson. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, well, we're talking about your new album, Recovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting project because you've taken songs that you've written for and and with others. I think they've all been collaborative efforts, I think, um, mm-hmm. for the most part, or all of them, including Adele and, and Taylor Swift, um, and reinterpreted them. Uh, why did you want to do this album? Uh, actually, it was a friend of mine who gave me the idea about seven years ago. She described what it would be, and I think she had a title even that was sort of a pun uncovered, but I changed it uncovered uh, uh, something like that yeah <laughs> <clears throat> um but uh she said two things that were really striking to me she said if you do this um you can't just do uh you can't just do busker simple stripped down acoustic guitar versions it has to, she said it, it it can't be lazy mm-hmm. like that <laughs> And then finally, she said, um, uh, "It has to have an idea, sonically speaking." So, um, what I did was I, I looked at uh, all the songs that I had. Just uh, a few. Well, I mean, I've written so many. <laughs> I'm and like, there's like dozens and dozens and dozens. I mean, it's like I don't know. You you probably know the count, but I mean, there, you've whittled this down to like you know. 10 or 11, 12-ish, 13, mm. something like that. But you've written like, I don't know, probably 100, 200 songs easily. Uh, like five something. Or even that number. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 500 something. Um, so I looked at this, but I looked at the songs that I had at that time and I thought about making an album like this and I thought it was a great idea. But when I looked at the songs I had, I felt like I just didn't have quite enough songs. <laughs> like I needed a couple other really big either hits or sort of moments in the world, you know, something that would really like, so that the, there was a certain gravity to the record, but also so that I could be free to put some things in that nobody was likely to have heard. So I really needed the counterweight to that for it all to work the way I was kind of starting to envision it. So I had to wait like seven more years to do it. <laughs> I was gonna say, so this idea came before like someone like you and yes. it came before, okay. It came before the Taylor Swift record that I worked on, and I wrote it. Since then, I wrote a bunch of songs with John Legend, and I used one of those on the on the record. And a lot of things have happened since then. That's thankfully that all transpired. Yeah, yes. I know. <laughs> like, it all worked. I out. must wait to be hit by lightning one more time. <laughs> Perfect crash. <laughs> um, you know, before you became an in-demand songwriter for other artists, you of course had success with your band Semisonic and and the number one alternative songs hit "Closing Time." Yeah. Um, how did you make the move from Semisonic? And your solo projects to writing for other artists. I had a couple. The couple things went on all at once. Um, 
I have to sort of put myself back in that time. Maybe 1998, I started telling people that I wanted to start writing songs with other people or for other people. I had this notion, because I always wrote too many songs. I had this notion I could use my ex- extra songs for other people's records. It's not exactly how it played out. But I did have this idea, and I started kind of putting out the word, and that took several years to find a few willing participants. <laughs> like a find a few takers? That yeah, would be some willing. takers. You know, yeah. it, it took me a while. And um, at that time, uh, two big things were happening. One was I had been on tour with... Trip Shakespeare for like seven years and then with Semisonic for like eight years. Mm-hmm. And I had had a lot of my kind of list of dreams and wishes checked off at that point. I had been very well served by the world, you know. And um, I was looking for another outlet for my songs. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. And then I had, a, my wife and I had a, a daughter who was in the hospital for 11 months. Mm. And then at home with uh, 24-hour nursing for two more years after that. Wow. And there was uh, there was just no way I could keep up the absenteeism that was necessary um, for my music, for my touring, in the face of having this medically very challenged kid that I really felt like I needed to just be home for. So right. how do I reinvent myself to some degree to be able to stay in Minneapolis more, maybe travel for short, you know, less of the year and hang out with uh, uh, my daughter and help her slow recovery. That all kind of came together. Like, I, I, I started to see it as an interesting new challenge. I didn't think it would take over my life to be a songwriter for other people. I thought it would be a a treat that I could have once in a while. Like a side thing. Like, yeah, ooh, like a side thing. This will be fine. I can do yeah. it on the side. And, and then the, the sort of the... It, it developed a kind of um, momentum over over much time and different things happening and some of it much of it really relates to my efforts as a as an artist anyway like i met a bunch of people that i collaborated with through rick rubin and rick and i know each other because we worked really hard on an album a solo album of mine free life and throughout the process of making that record he kept introducing me to people like Mm -hmm. I think you'd like the Dixie Chicks. <laughs> I think I probably would. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Give me and their number. When you do these writing sessions with other artists, are you um, kind of driving the music side of things? Are you more of a lyricist, or is it kind of different for, for every session? It's It depends. Um, I could probably... If I had someone who was just a straight-up poet, and they didn't have... They had a sense of pitch, but they didn't really have any melodic ideas. I could probably do great music with that person. Hmm. I would have a slightly harder time with somebody who had zero lyrical ideas unless I felt like I had complete permission to put words in their mouth. I'm kind of deferential on the lyric side of things. I kind of want it to be something that the other person can believe in completely. And so it's it's harder for me to say, now you say this, (laughs) now you say that. But I, it's easier for me to say, now you sing, you know, it's this note and it lasts this long and then you come back down. You know, that's easy. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, uh, it sort of dovetails into our next question. Um, your your first big Hot 100 hit as a as a writer, not as an artist, yeah. was uh, Dixie Chicks is Not Ready to Make Nice. Right. 
Um, that song specifically, when you hear it on your new album, um, it's still unmistakably a Dixie Chicks record. Right. Um, and uh, that, and I don't mean that in any sort of like, oh, I hear the Dixie Chicks, I don't hear Dan. Yeah. But the, I hear Natalie Maines because it's her personal story. Yeah. Uh, because she's talking about people telling her to shut up and sing. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's very of the moment of what the Dixie Chicks were going through. Do you, as a songwriter, ever, when you're writing with someone, caution or try to guide someone to say, maybe we shouldn't make this so personal? Can we make it more of a universal emotion so that more people can identify with what you're going through? Or is it just like, nope, that's you? I Actually, uh, for better or worse, <clears throat> my kind of operating principle is the opposite. Like, <clears throat> if you have a line that's pretty darn personal, and really reflects a specific thing that happened. I'm probably going to advocate that we mention the actual town it happened in, or like the Get name, the personal. name of the uncle who did the thing, or whatever. You know, like I'm very, I kind of feel like, even though the listener is not going to have the context to to know what you're talking about, they, they, the listener doesn't care if it adds up in that historical way. You know, mm-hmm. but if if it the more things you put in that are specific and impossible for anyone else to say, strangely, the more kind of universally believable it becomes. Hmm. And songs that try really hard to be super general and super, like the word people use is relatable, which I which really annoys me. Hmm. Um, songs that tr- that do that only try to be relatable, I find don't they never. Um, penetrate very deeply into a person's heart you know they Hmm. just like they oh that's relatable cool you know it's kind of like telling someone something they already think a bunch of times in a row it doesn't really hit you in my opinion Hmm. well you've actually written with a really diverse group of of artists from weezer to josh groban panic at the disco and keith urban yeah um is there a common thread that kind of links all your collaborations together do you think Hmm. Like, hmm. Hmm. What does I, Keith I, Urban have in common with Weezer? I, I, I mean, but I seem. I, I, well, I, I'm not. I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you, you have something to say. Well, I mean, when you look at all the artists, sort of side by side, it seems like a lot of them have sort of a kind of a storytelling. Mm. vibe mm-hmm. to a certain degree. I mean, you know, Keith Urban is a storyteller. Country music is very story-driven. So, yeah. you know, the Dixie Chicks. Yep. You know, Josh Groban, a lot of his songs are, you know, you go from point A to point B and mm-hmm. you're taken on a journey. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe that's it because it's not like, I mean, like you don't have like EDM dance music on your list of people. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, is is there a common thread? Like, do you see something when you step back and look at all these artists? Is there something that kind of connects them all together? through you somehow well i mean the the unhelpful answer is me admiring what they do mm-hmm. but that begs the question a little bit at first the first time i had enough spending money to buy albums i i had enough spending money to buy two albums and i bought heavy weather by weather report and boston by boston isn't weather report like a jazz yeah it's yeah. a jazz band yeah. so it's very noisy frenetic loud virtuosic jazz band and uh, Wayne Shorter's the sax player in Weather Report and and he's a almost like a guardian angel of music or something he's an amazing human being 
and then uh, Boston is just like <laughs> really good rock and roll music. You know, I, I feel like it's the die was cast for me to be sort of eclectic from the very early time, and to and to like if I was listening to Joni Mitchell and the Beatles and Stevie Wonder as a kid, it makes kind of sense that I would be and then you know Parliament after that right. and Weather Report and Sonny Rollins and uh, Carol King and Elvis Costello all that from my sort of youth it, it just kind of gave me permission to like music for, for just because I liked it it's just good music and then when I get into like this position where I'm like able to collaborate with people uh I, maybe it's hubris, but I think I just kind of assumed that I could keep doing that. And when I when I would see a kind of a a lack, like there was a certain point, several like maybe five years ago, I was like, why why don't I why don't I write with jazz musicians? Why don't I? I mean, I jam with I have you know musical experiences with jazz musicians, but I don't write with them. Um, that would be an interesting thing to just try to visualize. And so I ended up writing writing with the Preservational Jazz Band and Anthony Wilson and. Other people, McLeet Hadero, and similarly, a couple of years ago, I was like, I'm straying too far from my indie rock. <laughs> so I just kind of visualized, like, what you know, I would I would like to be closer to my indie rock roots, you know. And so then that year, I ended up writing with Spoon and My Morning Jacket and Not a Surf, and just had a really good kind of run of the indie rock artists that I admire, you know, I kind of feel like it's not really like, it's not like a kid in a candy shop. It's not like I feel entitled I like, to just have everybody's lunch, but I, I do, <laughs> I do want to be noticing if I'm just getting kind of narrowly pigeonholed into something. And if I notice that I, I'm like, well, what could I do? That's almost the opposite of what I'm doing right now. It is nice to have the luxury to write with people that you admire. Yeah. As you said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I like cold call people. And sometimes they say no. And sometimes they say yes. I'll email someone. I'll get some friend to give me a wow. an email address. And I'll say, hey, I'm Dan Wilson. I, I, you know, I've, I wrote this and this and this. And of your records, I love this and this and this. And should we hang out? Let's like write something. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to happen through channels. You know, like it's sometimes it's kind of cool. I just assumed there was like, you know, like people in a suit or some executive or some agent or some representative the people's representatives above you and the artist are like trying to connect you and put you into a studio together but it's not like that it's, it's not always it's, it's not always like that. sometimes it's like that and sometimes the best things happen because a, a very perceptive person in a business role hmm. has a picture in their mind of how you could you could sound amazing with them you right. know and you know and then they would present that idea but uh, like the reason I think the reason I know Andrew Bird now is because I was somebody told me Tony Berg was producing a record for him and I know Tony and I sent Tony an email and I said yo can you send me Andrew Bird's email address because <laughs> I want to tell him that we ought to write a song together and, <laughs> like, eh, and Tony's like okay you sure. know like he knows I'm not a freak so I'm not going right. to be weird that's helpful and then <laughs> I wrote to Andrew and we've had a lot of really positive experiences in the studio now because of it but it's like probably that would not have been as likely to happen if it had felt more like a business driven right you know you guys could make more money if you did this or right that. right 
I'm curious now, uh, was your working with Adele, um, you, you co-wrote uh, Someone Like You, as well as other songs with Adele mm-hmm. on her 21 album. Yeah. Was that a you calling up Adele <laughs> moment? Or <laughs> no, was that no. actually someone said, oh, maybe you, you would work well together? That's again Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. Oh. He called me one day and asked me if I knew about this singer. And I said, yeah, that I, uh, I like... Uh, 19 a lot. I love Chasing Pavements and I love Hometown Glory and she's great. Why? And he said, oh, I think you'd like her and I've been working with her and you, maybe you guys could get together and write something great. And then we tried to schedule it and it didn't, it kind of fell off the calendar and there was Rick again. Hey, I think it really would be cool if you would write a song with this brilliant artist. And I said, yeah, I think it fell off the calendar. And like just Rick's kind of gentle, like <laughs> insistence. Hey, this could be really good. I think this could be good. He, he kind of willed it into existence. You know, I feel like he's probably done a lot of that yeah. over the yeah, years. Yeah, in a kind of a gentle way. Like <laughs> he just right. sort of has a picture in his mind. This reality needs to include this feature that it doesn't seem to include mm-hmm. right now. He's like this great sort of like wise sage that can like mm-hmm. sort of yeah, see connections. Yeah, we probably don't know half the things that he's made yeah. happen. Well, I mean, Andrew Dice Clay and, uh, you know, so many things from for, from so many years of like – you constantly finding out some weird thing that he was you know, <laughs> not, not, not weird like some significant thing that weirdly enough Rick was like one of the people that cooked it up you <laughs> that's know? amazing yeah. um, it, it may be a cliche question to ask but uh, I'm going to ask it anyways and feel free <laughs> not to answer I'm ready what is Adele like to work with uh, you know when you're collaborating together is she as hilarious and charming and warm and wonderful as we all assume she is I uh, did you see her on the carpool karaoke? Yes, literally, totally like that. Just, it's just like that. <laughs> Seriously, just completely like that. Except for how can you get any work done? No, but she. <laughs> but then she also holds you and her to the highest possible artistic standards while your your eyes are running with t- tears of laughter. <laughs> you know, she's super funny, as you can guess, and super charming. But she's also like she just knows right away if something doesn't work, or she. She's willing to say if something isn't working very, very directly, mm-hmm. and it's and it not in, not in a way that's like because she's so honest. It's a, it's never hurtful. Mm-hmm. I, she and I have kind of had disagreements during sessions about what was cool to do and what was not, and you know every once in a while she's willing to give it a go, mm-hmm. uh, which is also a really good sign. She's just looking for excellence at all times and achieving it and achieving it and <laughs> she has a good laugh doing it too what, was any of those giving a go someone like you like let's try this Adele she's like I don't think this will work and you're like no it will yeah well she, um, we disagreed you know if uh, we disagreed about a couple things she didn't like the high notes in the chorus when she sings don't forget me I begged when she goes up really high yeah that's, she, you. Rem- but you, you I can you can hear that yeah she, it's painful to sing it was a little oh, too high yeah not painful. I mean, I, I don't think it harmed her. But I, what I mean is, it's just like it's risky. You don't want to sound. You don't. You, singers want to be, be. They don't want to make people feel uncomfortable in that in a right. in a singerly way. And so I think she was concerned about that. Hmm. But we. But she gave it a go, and then she killed it. It's yeah. like incredibly moving. Yeah, it adds that pleading. Yeah, it's to like it. super vulnerable. Yeah. But that was one of those things where we butted heads a little bit. Well, Someone Like You is one of the songs that Dan Wilson covers on his new album, Recovered. Uh, includes uh, every single song on the album is something that you co-wrote with another artist, except for one. Yeah. 
Closing Time, yes, uh, which is, of course, your own song, mm-hmm. which is how I think most people uh, came to get to know you. I, I remember, I remember uh, loving uh, that song and the album it came from. The funny thing about Closing Time was it when I first started thinking about making this album, I had this kind of set of rules in my mind. Like it was going to be all songs that I had that I had written with other people for their music career, and it was going to be some hits, and then some things that I could bring to the light more that I felt sh- should get some attention, like Corey Chisel's "Never Meant to Love You." I thought some of those things I w- would be great to put them next to the other great songs and see how how they fared. You know, I thought mm-hmm. that would be really cool. And when it was all kind of close to wrapped up the recording, I showed it to some close friends, smart people. I told them what my theme was. And they all said in different ways, like, so why are you omitting closing time? (laughs) That's kind of weird. Is there a thing around that? And I would say, no, it doesn't fit my little rules. Like it was, I wrote it for myself to sing and it's a semi-sonic song and, and they would go, yeah, 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 yeah. But it, why are you leaving it off? Like they, it's almost like they couldn't hear my little rule-based explanation. And the more people said that to me, like, but, but why are you? People are going to be weirded out that you're omitting it. I was like, yeah, you're right. I think it's weirder to leave it off than it is to put it on. And once I put it on, it felt like it kind of completed the story in a way that now I, I realize that. Would have been quite strange for it not to be there. I mean, that's and that's it, it, that's how the album ends. Yeah. Appropriately, it, it, appropriately, it's like you at the end of it. It's like, and this is where all of you got to know me. This is yeah. sort of where it began. Yeah, ish. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Way. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. Anyway. But make sure to check out uh, Dan's uh, new album. And to see him on tour, you have a little tour coming up. I think it's like, what, September, I want to say? Got shows in September, and there'll probably be others in the... I've got dates and everything. In the coming, uh, in the months after that as well. It's a city winery tour, in fact, it seems like. Uh, several of them are. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Cool. Yeah. Pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Dan Wilson. His new album, Recovered, is out now, and you can see him live in September and October, starting September 22nd in St. Paul, Minnesota. Go check him out. Check him out. It was a delightful interview. He's a fascinating person. Yeah, we. Uh, I, 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 I don't think we, uh, we... We didn't anticipate chatting for him, with him as long as we did. But we could have chatted longer. But we could have chatted longer. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, that story he had about Adele where they had a disagreement, but then it turned into like a really like great moment in someone like you. Yep. Um, and also how just he, you know, a, a personal appeal or a direct email from him. Like, hi, my name is Dan Wilson. I've written these songs and I really like these songs you've done. Maybe we should work together. Yeah. Well, it worked out. <laughs> also, he has a guardian angel and Rick Rubin. Yeah, seriously. Um, all right. Now it's time for the chart stat of the week. 25 years ago this week, Madonna. Hey, oh, Madonna. <laughs> hey, Keith's doing a chart set about Madonna. Well, I don't do it. I don't. It's not every single week I do no. one about her. Um, Madonna hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 with "This Used to Be My Playground" from the movie "A League of Their Own," which she also happened to co-star in with Tom Hanks and Gina Davis. 
The song ascended to the top of the list dated August 8th, 1992, and marked Madonna's 10th of an eventual 12 number ones. Notably, the song snagged just one week at the top, as it was sandwiched between a five-week run by Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back and a 13-week run Whoa. at number one by Boys to Men's End of the Road. Fun fact, This Used to Be My Playground is the only one of Madonna's number one hits that she's never performed live. Why? Who knew? I love that song. Evidently, she might not. It's also like nice and low, and like her voice sounds so cool on it. I love that song. I mean, you know, I mean, slow ballads are kind of like a tough sell in concert. Yeah, but you know, she could have done some sort of visual craziness during it. Sure, it's it's not too late. Really, she could have played baseball. Yeah, (laughs) played catch on stage with her backup dancers. (laughs) I well, she's done crazier things. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so there you have it. Twenty-five years ago, Madonna led the Hot 100 with This Used to Be My Playground. Used to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, funny. <sighs> I believe it is the end of our show. Oh, man. Uh it's 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 I, the next the next time uh the next time you hear the pop shop you will hear my voice because that's right. You, the interview was with both of us next yes, week. There will still there will still be uh, interviews. At least one more. It'll be a transition, nice transitional period for <laughs> any of you who care enough to tune in for my voice. Everyone cares. <laughs> Everyone cares. Uh, what? Uh, what? Do you have any parting words, Katie? Well, it feels before like, you come back in November. It feels like "End of the Road" might be the right song. To come, <laughs> You're, you're, you're not retiring. You're coming back in three it's months. Just a, it's a sabbatical, a hiatus. That's, yes. You're, yes. You're, you're going on hiatus from hosting the show. Indeed. Um, going on hiatus from like real life <laughs> for three months. Yeah, well, no, you're going to have the real, real oh, life. Realist, the realest The lives. realest life possible. <laughs> so you want to go out on the end of the road? Let's do that. Oh, Lord. That's too, that's, no, it's too melodramatic. It is. It? Okay, we should... Uh... Another baby song? <laughs> yeah, we did. We... Did we get into enough baby songs last week? Uh, well, I th- How about Baby Come Back? Baby Come Back? Because <laughs> then I, I will. You, you, <laughs> it, great. We'll <laughs> see you guys next time, and you'll see her in three months. Yeah, bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.